Welcome to Living a Better Life podcast with your host, Madeline Golick. This is a weekly podcast exploring a variety of topics on how you can live a better life, not just physically, but in all aspects of what it means to be human living in a modern world. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and should not replace professional or medical advice. This podcast is sponsored by Ecophysiotherapy, where their mission is to educate, empower, and rehabilitate you back to health. Without further ado, please enjoy the show. And welcome back to our wonderful listeners. Uh, In today's episode, we will be chatting about how trauma is coded and uh, the impacts that trauma can have uh, leading people into addiction. So we're going to try to kind of break break this down a little bit more. And my podcast guest today is Lise. Lise, welcome to the show. Thank you, Madeline. Thanks for having me on and, and being open to hearing some information about, about what this is all about. Absolutely. And so perhaps maybe building some context, um, you know, for our listeners leading into this uh, conversation, maybe you could uh, tell us a little bit about you and uh, what you do and how you got into it. Well, this is really, I guess, my second career. I um, went back to school when I was 49 and um, decided that I wanted to be a a therapist. I had been working for um, an a psychologist as a part-time office manager when my children were small and when my third one started school I, I would work school hours and just seeing all the people coming in and being uh, involved with the doctor and asking questions and it really wanted me to I felt like I wanted to do more than just admin, admin work and um, I thought one day maybe I'll go back to school and I'll be able to do this. But my, I had three children there. Like I say, they were very young. And um, so I, I, when I left there, I worked in a big psychiatric practice um, with 17 um, professionals. And I decided at that time that uh, I wasn't, I didn't want to do front desk work anymore. And um, I went back to school. And so at 49, I because uh, I didn't have any degree when I after I graduated high school, and um, I got two associate degrees. I got a an associate degree in addictions counseling and an associate degree in human services, and went on to do a bachelor's in psychology and a master's in psychology. And Amazing. yeah, no, um, and it was really. Very, it was just something I'm very proud of. And a a te- yes, and well, a testament to it's never too late to. Yes, and and when my clients go, oh, I'm too old. It's never too late. I just say, you're never too old. You're never too old. If if I, I'm, I think a lifelong learner. I know I am, and um, it just. It's nice to be able to help people. And now, even though I'm more mature than a lot of younger therapists that are leaving school, I have a lot of life experience that goes along with, with being able to connect with people. So it's, it's been helpful. And for the, I guess, five years of my, when I was in school, I worked in a psychiatric hospital for five years. So that, although being very difficult, um, sometimes the things that you see and are involved with and and um um 
it's it's some it, it's challenging. It's challenging, but I just thought it was fabulous experience in understanding the severely mentally ill that are hospitalized. It's um, it's, a, it's a nice asset to have. Right, um, and I imagine that in those um, settings, you would have, you know, heard and seen the effects of trauma in the hospital, right? Is that is that kind of where the trauma aspect of your like understanding, like, did you see more of that there, or where where did the interest in kind of learning more about trauma come from? Well, I think. I realized when I, I'm a new, newer therapist, I say I just graduated in 2015, but as I'm talking to people um, and, and trying to help them through things, there's always a lot of underlying issues. So symptoms of like when you have anxiety, it's a symptom usually of something else going on and, and you just need to dig until you get to the bottom of it. So I decided that um, it would be helpful for me to do some trauma training, which I just did this summer and uh, loved it. And it is just a nice, it, and the, the way I learned to do it is a very gentle, compassionate way. So you're not re-traumatizing people and um, the clients are able to release the charge when they, when they, we do the work, that processing work. <clears throat> so, since it's kind of fresh in your mind, having um, sort of done some extra studying in this, like, why don't, could you maybe like define what is considered trauma? I mean, people have kind of an idea like, you know, that trauma is something kind of really big. Um, is it just like a big experience or what, like how, what's trauma? I think, well, I'll define it first, but it's, um, the definition of it is any experience that leaves a person feeling powerless in a state of terror or fearing for their safety. That's kind of the definition of trauma, but it could be abuse, loss, separation, divorce, bereavement, uh, exposure to domestic violence, like any major episode or, or event um, that happens in your life. But and it's also very personal. We could both have be there for the same event, you and I, and we are going to internalize it and process it differently. So it's a very personal experience. And in it, here's the interesting part that I don't think I realized until uh, I went through some training, but it's not necessarily about what happened. It's about what the, the, the meaning that you give to it and how it lands in the body and how it's remembered in the body. So how, how is the body coding this? Cause you mentioned the body. So, you know, it's an experience uh, and, and not always like, let's say loss. I mean, it's not like a physical experience that like, like, um, um, being at war and like being injured, right? Being a f like a physical experience. A loss is more of a, I guess, a emotional, mental um, experience. How, how is that coded into the body? Um, when you're having trauma, 
it's it's sometimes it's difficulty concentrating or remembering information um, when you're um, have an intense reaction to to something or you're easily startled if you um, or you can be triggered by sights or smells of something that was part of the the event um, you could have um, regressive behaviors such as wanting to sleep with a parent or bedwetting um, nail biting <clears throat> difficulty sleeping uh, hyper hyper vigilance just always being on alert and um, or um, hyper arousal is having a, an excess of energy or hypo arousal is having very little energy so it lands kind of in the mind and the body um you mentioned um like hyper arousal or under arousal um and you also talked about sights and smells so i, I i'm sort of curious to unwrap you know, how perhaps the emotional part of our brain, like, right, because sights, sounds, smells um, tend to be coded in the amygdala, if I'm correct, right? The mm -hmm. alarm center, right? It doesn't really, it, that area of the brain doesn't really rationalize. It just codes sort of experiential um What's the word I'm like looking for? I was going to say experiential sensations, but it's not an experiential, like the senses. Yeah. 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 And then, um, and then there's like a physiological response to that trigger. Can we talk a little bit about the autonomic nervous system and how it might respond to like sights and sounds and triggers? So the two autonomic nervous systems are the sympathetic nervous system, and that's when the gas pedal is on. So it, it's uh, increased heart rate, blood pressure, it's when your muscles are tense, um, rapid or shallow breathing, uh, digestion slows and your skin will feel clammy. And <clears throat> Excuse me, I apologize for my scratchy throat, I'm just getting over a cold. Um, the parasitic, parasympathetic uh, nervous system is when the brakes are on. So you're just shut down and you have a lowered heart rate, your blood pressure, your muscles are relaxed, your digestion resumes and your um, skin becomes warm and the color becomes flushed. But trauma disrupts the balance of the, the two branches of these um, leading to dysregulation. Right. So that's why you're saying, you know, one person can experience hyper arousal while another um, may experience hypo. Right. Um, but that's but that's also in, it's interesting because under the sympathetic nervous system, right, that is your fight or flight or mm -hmm. freeze. Right. So really, it's still would you say that it's still a sympathetic output, even though like um even though they might freeze or slow down, like, cause you're saying parasympathetic is like putting the brakes on. The gas pedal on. Yeah. Um, and, oh, parasympathetic. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Parasympathetic is putting the brakes on, but the hypo arousal could be still a response from the sympathetic nervous system. 
Right. So, so if we think of it this way, when, when the gas pedal is on, it, it's anxiety. Right. So you're okay. always, you're always, um, you know, thinking and processing and on alert and, and parasympathetic goes more towards depression is when you're shutting down and you can't process and you're overwhelmed. So when, when the nervous systems are dysregulated, that's what happens is that you feel overwhelmed, anxious, you're confused, you're unfocused. <clears throat> so when we experience trauma, we um, find ourselves in a state of ongoing dysregulation and our mm -hmm. body's not able to, to calm us or regulate us. So you could technically be kind of swinging from one system to the to the other i imagine that just from a physical physiological standpoint that may cause issues with like fatigue and then um you know could lead to digestion issues right because all of those pro you know other processes are governed by this autonomic nervous system so trauma um like could you say could we say that trauma does have a link to other um, health problems like could they could it be a contributing factor to developing other health problems because of that dysregulation? Mm -hmm. It is. Uh, it could be. I, you know, depending on what it is, and depending on what the event is, um, how the person remembers it, um, it, it, it could be related to, you know, like you say, physical illness and and uh, disease. Because right. you're in dysregulation and you're just not able to calm yourself. And as you know, being in a constant state of fight or flight or freeze, it's not a good place for the body to be. It's, it's certainly not, uh, not, not constantly, right? And, yeah. and I, sometimes I like to explain to people, you know, um, well, I talk a, a lot about like, just the impacts of psychological stress and the impact of our modern day life, right? Because the sympathetic nervous system, as I understand it, is like if there's a saber-toothed tiger behind you getting ready to eat you, um, you're going to go into survival mode, right? You, you want to protect your body. So other processes like, you know, digestion, reproduction, rest and repair, that kind of gets you know, uh, suppressed so that you can fight the saber, saber tooth tiger. Um, whereas in modern day, we don't have a saber tooth tiger per se, you know, walking around behind us, but you know, we have deadlines, we have traffic, we got financial stress, we got job stress, we got marital stress, we got all these other stressors that mm -hmm. kind of keep us in that fight or flight. Would you agree with Yes, and and to your point before, I think that's where a lot of the the physical illness could could stem from, and and also like with our brain, its job is to protect us, and and so um, when we have overwhelming pain or terror and fear, the brain actually dissociates or disconnects, right? In in order to protect us, 
And so it could be, um, it, it may look like uh, to other people, disturbances in thought or memory or uh, odd behaviors. And the, and the person experiencing this may not even be aware, but it's the body's uh, protection mode. Um, yeah, and, and it's interesting because, you know, like we're, you know, stress can be good, um, but staying in a constant state of stress really does not just dis, not only just dysregulate um, the autonomic nervous system, um, but dysregulates other functioning. And then if you leave that over time, you know, then greater issues um, can happen. So um, I'm interested or I have become interested in like Dr. Gabor Mate. So he's a, he's a family physician, right? Yeah. He was, he's an MD. Yeah. yeah. He's an MD from, from um, BC. And I liked, or, I mean, it was interesting to me to read that not all trauma as we would think all trauma, like the big, you know, kind of the abuse or, or, you know, incarceration of a parent or, you know, um, but he talked about psychological stress um, that could lead to poor or less than ideal behaviors that over time can lead to additional problems. And he does a very interesting um, link to addictions as well as physical physical pain uh, he's got obviously some very interesting ideas about how you know different traumatic not even i shouldn't even say traumatic how different stresses in our youth can lead to you know chronic diseases um and i know that you've recently been getting into his work as well and i was wondering what your like what your thoughts and perspectives are um on his perspective on on uh, Dr. Gabor, yeah. Um, yeah, his his thoughts um, actually um, interesting enough could sort of tie back to attachment theory and how our attachment was with our primary caregivers, and and he talks about uh, he works in uh, East Portland with um, the you know severely drug addicted people and and homeless and 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 he was saying he's interviewed and talks about several of them in his book but probably all of them have experienced severe trauma in their early childhood whether they've um seen um you know their mothers uh prostituting themselves to you know for drugs they've been sexually abused they've been abandoned or rejected and all of that it leaves that that if you can't find love or receive it you're you you find other ways to fulfill that and a lot of times it's with addiction yeah i imagine if that makes sense yeah i, I was also um like wondering if you know certain behaviors or certain substances are really just to numb down certain thoughts and feelings that may not be so pleasant. Yes, it, what it, yes, it does. And, and that, and that's, 
because they can't or don't want to um, remember the painful events continually, then that's what the, the drug use is for. Let's chat a little bit about addiction. Um, what is it? What are different things people might be addicted to? Um, and then see if we can kind of, you know, also like tie back into the, the, the trauma piece. Like does, does trauma always lead to addiction or? No, it doesn't have to. It doesn't have to. Again, it's a, it's, it goes back to the, the personal experience and how the, the person will process that. Also mm -hmm. depends on what kind of a support system you have too. If, if you've had um, a, a secure attachment early on in life with your primary caregiver and you feel um, confident and, and you have um, had the proper development early on in life that you can actually maybe work through some of these things, have a healthy support system, people to support you and talk to you, there are better ch chances that you will uh, get over it um, or work through the trauma and not get over it. Um, and people that don't have that, people, young infants and children that have been neglected early in childhood, their whole brain development has changed and they're lacking a lot of um, necessary skills that often will lead to addiction later on in life. What, what is, uh, so let's loop back to, okay, so what is, what is addiction? What's, what's the so I'm, definition? I'm use, so addiction is any repeated behavior. It could be substance related or not. It could be shopping. It could be uh, gambling. It's when the, the person feels compelled to persist with the addiction, regardless of the negative impact it has on their life and the life of uh, the ones that um, they love. That Right. Okay. Um, I was listening. Um, I can't remember if it was Gabor's definition or uh, he, uh, I've, I follow um, some entrepreneurs who um, have sort of made it their mission to, you know, help change the um, global conversation. Actually, well, Joe Polish, um, that's how I was introduced to Dr. Gabor Maite. He's high level entrepreneur from the U S and uh, so his mission right now is, um, you know, to change the global conversation around addiction uh, because there's a lot of shame um, attached to it. Um, a lot of shame uh, and judgment. Um, and so I, I'm not sure where I heard the definition, but it was something to the effect of, um, don't ask why, uh, no. Why the addiction, ask why the pain. Yes, thank you. That's it. I was like, wait, am I saying this correctly? Yeah. yeah. Um, it's That's not. Dr. Yeah. yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, which I really thought um, is a really different and interesting way to approach because uh, it changes the whole conversation. I, I I would think like just from an outside, I mean, I don't do psychotherapy, so I don't, you know, I'm not having these in-depth conversations unless it's with a professional um, just out of curiosity. But I, I just thought it was very interesting that it becomes more of a discussion of like, rather than it being like, Oh, you shouldn't do that. Um, you should know better or 
more toward what problem is this solving for you? And that's kind of what made me go, huh, that's really, um, that sort of seems like a really interesting um, and sort of less threatening way of approaching something like an addiction. It's the pain. It's not, it, it, yeah, it's the pain that they're trying to deal with. Yeah. And then, and then once the addiction starts, the brain changes and the brain takes over. So the, the, the person is, is no longer in charge. It's the behavior and that is in charge. In your studies, you know, what are, what have you read or seen or been told to be like some of the more effective ways to approach issues around addiction? Well, the, the first thing is the person has to be ready to stop. And until that happens, you can't do anything. Mm -hmm. really. It's not going to be successful. The person has to be willing to go into treatment and give up their addiction. And then that means looking at, um, you know, pain in their life. Are they ready for that? Are they capable of it? Again, the support system. What so, are, yeah, like what are some things that you do? Like, have you worked with people with addictions? And like, what are some ways that you try to help them process through um, I mean, oh, so let's just say somebody is open to, to um, giving up their addition, uh, addiction. So depending on, on what it is, they may have to have a medical detox. If, if it's an alcoholic, it's dangerous just to stop drinking if they've been drinking for years. Um, you could have uh, seizures and die. Um, so you need them sometimes for some drugs like heroin as well, you need you should have uh, a medical detox. And then um, treatment centers are good for teaching maybe C CBT, which is cognitive behavioral therapy and um, in changing and challenging thoughts and um, um, creating relapse prevention plans. Uh, and then when the brain is in a healthier state and able to work through um, the trauma or the problems that have gotten uh, the person to the addiction, um, then you can start doing some therapy. What are some therapeutic approaches? Like you mentioned CBT, are there any particular therapeutic approaches you find you use most often in, in your practice? Um, CBT would I, I I'm integrative. I use different things, but I think um, I'm going to be tending to go more towards the uh, trauma processing, and because underlying all the addiction is pain and hurt, and trying to lessen the charge for of of those events will help people, and just to calm the pain. What would that look like? Um, the, the trauma processing that, that I learned is, is 
through doing it through stomatic questions because you were saying how the brain remembers things and uh, it codes it into the brain so we'll have um people because sometimes I'll, we'll have um people draw a timeline of of distressing events in their life and then they can start with the one that has the most charge or the one that causes mm -hmm. the most pain and um then we I'll have them um, draw a picture and then I'll ask uh, them to tell a story about it. And then I will ask some uh, sensory questions. Like, what do you remember seeing? What do you mm. remember smelling? What do you remember hearing? So it really tracks the memory that way. So you're not going back and re-traumatizing. It's a very friendly, compassionate way to to go back to re, you know, not relive but to look at the um, the trauma and then then what you do is you um, take them the person think of a, a funny a funny story there's more in between I'm just yeah. keeping it short so you'll have the the, the client um, think of a funny story in their mind and and picture that and um, then you have the client um, write some positive thoughts that have come out of that like if there were any in an abusive relationship you may be well the client will can write out I, I am safe it's I'm free those types of things and then you have the the, the person uh, tap in bilaterally because you want to engage both sides of the brain now when you say tapping because uh, obviously I can see you doing okay. that but <laughs> but from an audio perspective <laughs> right. people might right. be like tapping what are, what are you talking yeah. about so what does that mean if you want to describe it um, yeah so I'm crossing my arms and just tapping and that stimulates the bilateral parts of the brain and um, so you're doing the rational and the logical part of the brain and the emotional and you would be saying I am free I am free I am free and just saying that to yourself and then we also can do um, um, uh, an exercise releasing um, the um, where you can snap a band and just release your anger like get rid of it or you could be throwing a ball to release your your anger and energy. <clears throat> Do it as long as you can, um, or you need to, and um, that releases. So you've you've done it somatically, you've done it physically, and that generally will release uh, the charge, Interesting. the intensity of the memory. Yeah, it's it's very interesting that both of the examples you just gave um include um some something physical like you're physically doing something whether it's um like you said tapping your shoulders by crossing your arms or um i've read in a different book uh somewhere about um a guy would have like a specific um like specific arm movements that he would do anytime he was feeling an overwhelming emotional experience. Like he would like 
you know, flex his elbow, touch his shoulder, then flex the other hand to touch the other shoulder. Then like he would bring the arm back down to 90 degrees. Then he would like turn his hand over and then the other side would copy the motions, but it would be like through a series of, of movements while he, it, it sounds very similar while he was sort of saying something um, to release the charge. And I just think it's very interesting um, because in, in, in my practice, although I'm not, um, addressing like the, the trauma, but when somebody's in a lot of pain, um, using the body movement in a very calming and relaxing way can be very, you know, can sort of de-stimulate the sympathetic output and bring a more calming, you know, um, calming feeling so that they can then move their bodies, you know, even more. So we'll like use a little bit of gentle movement that doesn't elicit pain to reduce the fear and anxiety of the pain um, so that they can relax and then begin to increase their range of motion without eliciting um, the protection response, which is pain is a protection response, right? It want, we want to survive. And so if moving my shoulder past a certain point is painful, okay, well, let's see if we can move your arm in different ranges of motion that don't elicit pain, thereby calming your fear of the pain down so that you're better able to move and less muscle guarding, which, you know, can lead to pain if you're not in a relaxed state to do that moving. So it's just, it's just interesting to see how it's applied there and how I apply it with like clients who are actually in physical pain. Right. It's about feeling safe. Absolutely. And, and being ready to, to, to move forward and, Absolutely. Let, go, and let go of that protection factor. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and so I guess, you know, kind of looping this sort of all around, you know, if you're, if you're experiencing some sort of a, or if you have experienced some sort of a trauma, I imagine that the brain kind of wants codes, a protection mechanism to that piece. Um, and so, you know, you're using movement as a way to create safety, just like I'm using movement as a way of creating safety as it deals with physical pain where I guess you could say trauma also has a physical pain, but oftentimes it, it's more than, it's more than just that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I just, I find it really interesting how what I'm hearing and seeing more often is this like mind body approach. Mind soul connection. Yeah. It's all connected. Yeah. So what happens is that trauma overwhelms the brain and it can't make sense of it. And so it just, like you were saying before, it can't in, interpret, that the brain can't interpret. Um, so in order to reduce that arousal and tap into some meaning, you can consolidate the memory with the left brain and the right brain. Interesting. Yeah, I, I, I'm just, I'm always kind of curious how other people, you know, approach their, um, you know, uh, you know, their therapies and, and obviously like for some of my clientele base, you know, they're, they're coming in with a physical problem. And I certainly ask about trauma for obvious reasons to ensure 
you know, that are, that my approach is conscientious of their perhaps protection mechanism and being, you know, in pelvic health, again, me knowing that there's trauma allows me to make recommendations if they haven't sought help to do so, right? Because um, the body can store that information if, even if like, cause you were saying dissociation, right? And I'm always yeah. like, you know, how well have you processed through this experience? Because if you're dissociated from it and we're working on something, um, I'm, you know, there's always in the back of my mind, like could working and moving the physical body rehash or, you know, stir up some of these emotional things. And so that's where I'm always like wanting to ensure that that client is, um, being taken care of holistically. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, is I, 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 and I understand what you're saying. And I, I think it depends on the person. It depends on what the event was yeah. and, and how they deal with it, how they deal with their stress. Is it through drinking? Is it through, you know, excessive exercising? Is it from, is it, shutting down and, and not being able to process or do anything. So. Yeah. I, I think there's certainly um, some really amazing synergies. Um, you know, when we're more so like in the, you know, in the persisting pain, um, pain realm that I really feel both from physio and psychotherapy, like there's some really, like, I think overlapping there's overlapping uh, uh and i think it it it's a it can be more holistic um i just sometimes feel like perhaps maybe people don't see um the value that they might get from psychotherapy just because of the maybe they're they just have some preconceived notions about what you know psychotherapy is or maybe they've had some other experiences and think it's only about talking and how is talking going to help so i think you just highlighted some very interesting therapeutic techniques like drawing storytelling body tapping are there any other th sort of other approaches other than just like talking that you do um, as far as that, no, um, but therapy is not just about talking and venting either. It's about making, making movement and creating change. And sometimes it's, um, just getting some coping skills, developing, uh, different tools to cope with different, different things. And, and I've had a lot of first time clients who are very nervous about coming in. So you don't know what to expect. And, and um, it's, it's just, I, I like to be um, very compassionate and non-judgmental with clients and they have pain and they, sometimes I hear things that nobody else will ever hear. And, and it's about trying to give them hope and some sense of movement forward and and i tell them it's 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 quite um it can be quite painless and and not frightening at all and hopefully it's going to be comforting for them right um is there anything else that you can think of that like you would want people to know about you know, the value or like what to expect or just like debunking some myths about, you know, psychotherapy, like anything that you can think of that might um, 
you know, just help somebody be a little less. Um, yeah. Them. Yeah. Well, um, like I just talked about a few minutes ago, it's, it's just, and, and the, having the connection with the therapist, I think is the very most important thing. If you don't have a connection, you don't feel you can trust the, the, the therapist, then it's really, you're not going to get very far because you're, you're going to be resistant to opening up and, and, um, true, you have, you do have to build a relationship and build that trust, but, um, oftentimes it can do it quickly. And, and I think it's just being non-judgmental is, is huge. And, um, and also I can't tell you what to do. I can give you a lot of ideas. You can do none of them. You could do all of them. And it's, it's their decision. It's their life and they're in charge of it. And, um, and it's not about advice giving either. Um, and, and so it's this both of us creating a path forward that they are going to be happy with. And, and, and sometimes in therapy, first of all, I think everybody should see a therapist because we all have things that we don't, that we all have things that we go through and we don't necessarily want to tell our friends and families about. And, um, and, and also to normalize a lot of things too, that you're not the only person going through this. And it's normal. You're not crazy, although I hate that word. Um, and, and I had a client that came in last week, and she said, I just want you to tell me I'm not crazy. And, <laughs> um, and I just say, you know, no, you're not crazy. Uh, after what you've gone through, this is totally expected and understandable uh, reaction to it. And I said, it's a lot. And so it's it's we should be a support system for people. Absolutely. And I like, you know, Can I answer your question. I'm not sure. I was, all uh, you know what I, I, you might, you may or may uh, not have, cause I don't remember what my question was. Oh, um, debunking the myths. oh yes, that's right. Yeah. 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 Um, but I like how you mention, you know, that really we all go through hard times and um, having a third party, of somebody who has no vested personal interest. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I feel yeah. like um, that can be just helpful from for gaining perspective, right? Just seeing a different point of view without having to worry about the consequences of what you're thinking and feeling. Because, you know, sometimes people need a safe space to just get it out of their heads mm -hmm. to then be able to see it and go, oh, well, okay, that's clearly not how I see this in my head, right? But when it's in your head and it's like rummaging around in there, um, it's hard to see the forest from the trees. And so having, like I, the way I like to get my clients to think about psychotherapy is like, it's be, it's having a safe environment to to explore your thoughts and feelings and then having them ask you questions that helps you gain clarity, mm -hmm. right? Like, they're not, you're not there to like give the answer. You're there to help them see they already have the answer sort of within them. Yes. Um, yes. And, and that sometimes suggestions need to be made because maybe like, again, I wish I had thought of that. Like, why didn't I think of that? Well, your brain was very busy, enveloped in this like problem that it didn't have the space or the opportunity for the light bulb to go off. And sometimes, you know, and 
Like, would they have reached that light bulb moment by themselves? Sure. Maybe. But what if you could do it a little faster by having some perspective, right? It's sort of how I like to also think about it is kind That's of very, supercharging very it a little bit. Yeah. That's a good way. I like that. I like that explanation. And I think it's mostly not being judged. Yeah. It, it's just being able to freely say whatever you want and not being judged. And I also tell clients, like, you don't know what you don't know. And, and so, yes, maybe in 10 years you would have thought about it and then you wish you would have. But if you don't know and you're not stopping long enough to actually think about it, then, you know. Yeah, it won't, I, come. it won't come. And then, and then the the second part of that is, I say, when you know better, you do better. And and so, you know, don't beat yourself up. Well, I was gonna say, you know, hind, there's a, there's a reason why they say hindsight is twenty twenty, right? Because if you had all the information that you have now, you probably would have made some different decisions. But you know, it, it's reminding ourselves that we do the best that we can with the information we have at that time, um, and not to beat ourselves up for not knowing what we didn't know, right? Because when you look back, it's like, oh, it seems so clear now, but. Again, when you're in something, it's hard. Like there's only so much, so much energy and so much time in one day um, to, you know, think about our problems and, you know, just get through the day of all the tasks that need to, that need to get done. Um, so yeah, it's hard for us to have that space available to, to reflect. And I, I think, you know, therapy sessions can certainly be helpful in allowing the scheduled time for reflection because how many how many of us schedule time for reflection yeah yeah and just start a healing process yeah i also think too when we're going through things i think maybe there's a lesson that we need to learn in it there's something we need to learn and to get us on to the next part of what our life is uh has waiting for us so there's different ways to look at things. Absolutely. Um, but we were talking about uh, not being so hard on yourself. Um, as I was reading in uh, Gabor, Dr. Gabor's uh, book, he talks about compassionate curiosity. And that's ah, in, yes. in, in just being curious about why you chose or because there was a reason that you did. or There, there was a reason you did what you did. Right. Yeah. I forgot about that, but I I do like that idea of compassionate curiosity. Yeah. And forgive yourself. And I think that's where a lot with addictions, a lot of the shame and the guilt comes is, is um, a lot through that. And they're so hard on themselves and, and, and people that don't understand addiction just think they can just stop. And if they could, they would, but it's much more complicated yeah. than that. And, and passing judgment along just fuels all of that shame and, and guilt. Right. Absolutely. Well, I, um, I've had a very interesting, a, a very interesting time learning more about um, your, you know, what you've taken out of, well, I, I'm just, I happen to just be a fan of um, Dr. Gabamate, but just even gaining your, you know, different people's perspective on his, on his work. Um, 
I don't have all, I don't have a lot of opportunity just to explore this topic with many people. So I'm really glad that I got that opportunity just to kind of chit chat and throw things back and forth um, in this conversation. And um, you know, my hope is that maybe it'll see you know somebody will hear it and see a different perspective oh yeah you know it is about my pain and you know i don't have to be ashamed and i can get help and um and hopefully that that inspires them to do so um and knowing you don't have to suffer alone yeah that too very important so lise i wanted to ask um you know if people are interested in learning more about you or want to explore this conversation with you personally, how, how can people find you? Well, I have a website, leesfitsimmonstherapy.com, and um, there's contact information on there. I've actually just written um, some um, uh, things on my website about addiction and trauma and anxiety and depression, and that helps, that has a little bit of information, but I, I will also do a 15-minute um, free consultation call if they wanted to say, you know, I'm thinking I, I'd like to do this. Is this, what do you think? Um, and that we can just move forward from there. Sometimes they just need to talk and connect if they're, if, if they can connect with me or if they're going to, you can usually tell in, in the first few minutes if you like someone or not. And yeah, so feel free to check out my website. Amazing. And to our listeners, uh, don't freak out about how to spell that. I will, uh, I will get a link and I will put the link in the show notes. So it's uh, easy to click, uh, and you don't have to worry about the spelling. Um, so just be sure to check out the, uh, uh, description section of the podcast and the link will be there for you. Well, Lise, thank you so much for coming on to do this show, to share your knowledge. Um, I just am very grateful. Thank you. Thank you, Madeline. And thank you to our listeners. And as always, if you've enjoyed our episode, make sure you subscribe to the podcast so you're up to date with all the latest and greatest podcast episodes. And until next time, bye for now. Thank you for listening to Living a Better Life podcast. Make sure to subscribe to our show to stay up to date with our latest and greatest episodes. We would also love to hear your comments, suggestions, and reviews. Thanks again. Until the next episode. Bye for now.